Hello, and welcome to another episode of Boundless Body Radio. I'm your host, Casey Ruff, and today we have another amazing guest to introduce to you now. Michael Coomer was born and raised in Austria and speaks German, English, and Spanish. Since moving to the United States, he has lived and worked in the greater Atlanta area. In his 20s, he was a professional 100-meter sprinter, although these days he does mostly CrossFit. Michael is a technologist and an Apple fan. He loves science and doesn't believe anything unless there is proof. He follows a ketogenic paleo diet and intermittently fasts every day. Michael is married to his wife, Kathy, and has two trilingual kids. Michael's goal with his popular blog is to share what he learns so that you can spend time on something else. He is focused on the areas that his readers are most passionate about, including diet, fitness, and technology. He founded MK Supplements in 2021 with the goal of offering the highest quality dietary supplements on the market. MK Supplements is a small, family-owned business that takes pride in delivering the highest quality and environmentally friendly dietary supplements. Michael Coomer, what an absolute honor it is to welcome you to Balanced Body Radio. Thanks for having me, Cassie. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's such an honor. I'm not sure how I came across your work, but I'm pretty sure the first blog post I ever saw from you was why I don't eat vegetables. And as soon as I saw that, I'm like, <laughs> I like this guy. I like this guy a lot. That was you, right? That was your blog? <laughs> yes, that was that was mine. You know, quite frankly, when I, I always wanted to write it because I think it's an important message for people to understand that veggies are really what, you know, we think they are or what most people think they are. But I also figured it would be super controversial and likely not even be, you know, ranked on Google anywhere, um, considering that, you know, the pro-plant agenda is significantly more powerful, it seems like, than than the meat eaters. But it's actually one of the articles that ranks fairly well and drives a decent amount of traffic every day. So it's it's good that, you know, there is exposure and I'm glad you found it. <laughs> yeah, that's fantastic. So we don't eat a lot of plants over here. We've been following basically a carnivore diet for the last three and a half years. And, and you know, to say that you eat a high amount of meat is one thing, but to tell people that, like, I literally have not eaten a single vegetable in three and a half years, people look at you like you're losing your mm-hmm. mind. And trying to explain to people, like, right. I even think that fruit or things like rice could be so much more benign for people, but the story around vegetables, like I'm not touching those for the rest of my life. Right. Yeah. Yep. I, I totally agree. I mean, obviously, you know, everyone is, everyone has a different way of dealing with some of those toxins that you can commonly found in plants, you know, anti-nutrients and, you know, some of the other defense chemicals that at the end of the day, if you think about it, you know, no, nothing wants to be eaten. No living being wants to be eaten. You know, animals fight or flight and Plants predominantly use chemicals. I mean, some have thorns, you know, to discourage someone from eating them, but most use chemicals to deter them from eating at least the vital parts of the plant. You know, it's obviously not black and white. There is a, I think Saladino says it very well, a um, a degree of toxicity or a spectrum of toxicity. Some plants are more toxic than others, and some parts of a certain plant are more toxic than others. And um, so, yeah, but it, generally speaking, you know, you you don't miss anything if you don't eat plants. If you have a proper carnivore um, or animal-based diet, you know, that includes, you know, healthy fats, healthy meats and organs, I would argue are um, at least an important part of our diet, you know? Yeah, I totally agree. I'll explain this to my clients sometime by telling them to like, in their mind, kind of take a raw spinach leaf and start chewing it. And that mouthfeel that you kind of get when you when you chew that leaf, those are that's oxalate, you're tasting the oxalate right. crystals. And that's the more mechanical form. And and it's it's basically, mm-hmm. I, I think Monique Attinger explained it to us that it's basically like eating glass or something like it's the mechanical kind of yeah. roughage yeah. In, in the oxalate crystal, but it's really the chemical, the ion of oxalate that w- once 
once it slips into the body, it starts binding with other yeah. minerals like calcium. And that's where it does a ton of damage for people. And people think yeah. they're doing the very best thing. I'm telling people about, you know, sweet potatoes and beans and, and spinach and beets and all these things to avoid. And, and people always look at me like, but those are the best foods. It's like, no, those are the wrong right. foods. <laughs> yeah, yeah we, we've got many things uh, completely wrong and upside down, uh, especially in the last couple of decades, I think. And, and it's unfortunate, but um, I think there, there is now enough information out there. There are enough people out there who push against it and, and try to educate people. And, you know, on the one hand, I'm positive that maybe at some point, you know, that'll transpire into, you know, mainstream medical, in the, into the mainstream medical field. And maybe, you know, medical professionals um, get educated on nutrition and, and, and what food can do to your body as part of their curriculum and as part of their training, because right now that's not the case. You know, there is, there is no nutrition training, you know, doctors just don't know, you know, and if they, whatever they don't know, they cannot, you know, tell you. So they just go, you know, with what they've learned. And that's unfortunately in many cases, the exact opposite of what you should be doing. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And I think I was talking to Dr. Mark Kukazella about this recently. It's almost in a way, it's almost better that the doctors aren't getting an, a, a lot of nutrition education because if they did, they'd probably be getting more of the wrong message anyway. That's right. <laughs> if, if it further right. ingrained what we tell people is healthy uh, and like getting lots of like, fruits right. and vegetables and whole grains and all this stuff, I uh, am I am encouraged when when I look back at all you know all the podcast interviews that we've done and all the doctors that have found the truth, they did it because mm -hmm. they were following the same advice that they were giving to their patients, and they themselves were right. getting unhealthy, and that them down that journey that you and I have had to go on as well. Right. Yeah. And, and that's great. If, you know, if doctors really have the time to reflect on their patients and, you know, and the changes in their health outcome, you know, just may just don't have the time, you know, they don't even, you know, know, you know, who you are until they read your chart five minutes before the appointment. And, uh, and then they have to deal with the next one. You know, there is just little to no time to really reflect on follow someone's journey and figure out, Hey, is this actually working? beyond, you know, what, what patients tell you and beyond what's in a chart, you know, and that's just, a, I think, a general problem in our healthcare system that's just completely dysfunctional and not working and, and driven by the wrong incentives. I think that's really one of the major things, you know, if, if you get paid by doing certain things in a certain way, then what's, why would you do anything different if your life, if your livelihood depends on, you know, you going down a certain route, you know, yeah. it's, yeah, that's a great point. My wife and I were just out on a walk and, and she was talking about a podcast that she was just listening to um, with uh, some pharmaceutical rep, like a former pharmaceutical rep. And he explained like yeah. we would do, you know, these edu education courses on all the drugs that we would sell so that we could spit out the, supp or the, the, the numbers and percentages and studies and all this stuff really quick. And, and we want to get that drug top of mind for this doctor because he does have about seven, yeah. seven minutes. You've got seven minutes and, and this person right. in front of you may be complaining about, you know, diabetes and high blood pressure and all this stuff, what are you going to do? You're right. If it's your livelihood, it's easier for you to write a script and get that person out of there than it would be to take yeah. the time and explain. You just don't have the time. And it, it sucks because these doctors are, are by and large great people, but it's a broken system, like you said. Right. Yeah. And even, you know, if someone comes to me and says, hey, you know, I'm dealing with this, you know, I don't want to do what my doctor, I don't want to go on statins or what have you, what would you recommend me to? And obviously I'm not a medical professional. I can't give medical advice, but even, even if I wanted to share what I know, I cannot do this in, you know, in five minutes or even an hour, you know, I mean, there are, there are decades of experience and, and trial and error and appreciating that everyone is a little bit different. You know, if one, what works for someone might not work for someone else. I mean, yes, there are general concepts. I mean, cut out most of your veggies and chances are if you've got issues, you'll be fine, you know, but even, you know, within that realm, there are, you know, there is nuance and 
just getting into all of that. I mean, it's you, you almost need like a one-on-one session that spans over several weeks. How are you gonna do this? You know, in our in our current healthcare system. It's impossible. It's impossible. Yeah. Wow. Well, I want to go back and talk to you about your story. Um, you were sprinting at a very young age, which is pretty cool. Have yeah. you always been into sports and into um, different physical activities? Yeah. Uh, yeah, pretty much. I mean, when even you know when I was a kid, I did judo and uh, played soccer, even though I wasn't very good at it. I wasn't really very good at anything, to be quite honest. <laughs> I don't think I'm the most talented athlete out there. But at some point, I got into a track and field, um, I think, thanks to my um, high school teacher. And um, I kind of, you know, stuck with it and you know, and just learned to overcome any mental limitations, you know, I had at the time in terms of how much I can push my body and and um, how much I can do. And uh, that turned out to be fairly, fairly successful, at least considering my limited um, talent uh, for the sport. And so I, I stuck with that and, and that part of explosive kind of mess, you know, I used to be a sprinter, as you said. And so that, you know, I, I still do many of the things that kind of um, are based on, you know, that explosiveness, you know, be it now weightlifting or, you know, CrossFit where it's, you know, it's jumping, it's, it's, it's pushing, it's pulling, it's, it, that, that's always something that has interested me. And that is, I think, more conducive to my uh, to my physical limitations and any ball sport. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah, I do d- definitely see like different body types tend to gravitate to their respective sports and, and interests and things like that. Yeah. Did you also have an interest in nutrition as you were uh, into like physical activity and sprinting? No, not at all. I mean, I, I kind of wish now, I mean, I, I obviously I don't know, but I, I have a feeling that had I known what I know now about nutrition and the importance of sleep and, you know, certain recovery aspects and everything that goes with it, I might have been more successful, but no, at that time I knew nothing about nutrition. I didn't care about anything. No, nobody really, I mean, yes, you get, you know, your the standard parental advice, you know, eat more veggies, don't eat, you know, go to McDonald's every day. But even that I kind of ignored. I remember still sometimes, you know, like once every two weeks or so we would go to the movies and we would go through, there was actually a McDonald's directly attached to the movie theater. And I would, you know, buy 10 cheeseburgers and, you know, like big, you know, gallon of, of Coke or iced tea or what have you and popcorn. And that's what I would have, you know, during the movie. And I mean, just the incredible amount of chunk that I consumed at the time with serious appreciation for what that can do to my, or what it did to my body and to my recovery and, and, you know, the proneness to get injured and all of those things, you know, it, it still haunts me at night. Um, <laughs> but yeah, now I, yeah, interesting. It is. It is kind of sad to look back on some of the things we used to eat and we used to fuel our, our bodies with. And we only get this one body. Yeah. I think of one of our past right. guests, Ryan Talbot. He's a decathlon champion in the Big Ten, uh-huh. and and he switched over to carnivore like last year. He's still nineteen, twenty years old. I mean, imagine being carnivore at that age, and imagine for yeah. somebody into athletics yeah. like that, what what that person's going to be capable of is just going to be yeah. absolutely outstanding. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, so as you were eating that way and kind of changing your life. You moved over to the United States. What was what was going on with your health? Um, I had IBS for most of my life. Um, even you know, back to when I was a small kid, uh, back to my earliest memories, I always had like gut issues, and I thought they were you know either based on my genetics because my dad had them too, still has actually, and his grand uh, his father had it too. He actually died of colon cancer. My, my granddad of, at the age of forty eight. So gut issues have always been part of. Um, the parental side of my uh, family. And 
you know, I just thought they were normal, you know, and it never occurred to me that my diet had a lot to do with that. And when I came to the U.S., nothing really changed because I adopted the American way of life, including the standard American diet, unfortunately. And so, you know, it just kept going on. And, and then at some point, when we finally made changes to our diet, we switched over to a paleo diet. And back then, paleo diet was not really a, a strict carnivore diet, but very close to it. So we basically had steak and grilled zucchini. Uh, I think back then we didn't de-seed them or, you know, peel them or anything. So it was the whole, the whole thing. But still, it was very, it was very much an elimination diet from what you know we did before and within a week all my gut issues were gone wow and i'm like wow so this is how it feels to be normal and to you know feel good and to be full of energy and all of that and i'm like wow that's awesome i'm healed and so that was like a major turning point for me to find out that hey you know what i eat significantly impacts how i feel and especially my my, my gut issues you know since they were gone at um no, not overnight, but within a week, within a few days. And um, and it was like an eye-opener. And from that point on, you know, we kind of, you know, made our way through all the different diets that are somewhat related, you know, to ancestral eating. We went from paleo to keto and then from keto to carnivore and then from carnivore to a more animal-based approach, similar to, you know, how Paul Saladino is eating. So with, you know, we have, we have beekeepers, so we have honey, our own honey, so we eat raw honey. Um, you know, we eat sweet um, and seasonal fruits and occasionally even things that I would normally not recommend to people. Like, for instance, you know, sweet potatoes, we ferment them now. So we figured out that, OK, there are actually certain foods that if prepared, if you want to jump through the hoops of going through those preparation phases, chances are you might be able to handle them, at least, you know, in moderation. And sweet potatoes are a good example. If I just eat regular sweet potatoes or sweet potato fries, doesn't feel good in my stomach if we ferment them and most of the starches are gone um and they're obviously peeled and everything then they're I, I don't notice any negative impact maybe you know in the long term there might be but nothing that i can measure or feel at least so we kind of you know started experimenting with a couple of things um and and yeah it's been been going great that's amazing yeah i saw the sweet potatoes on your instagram i thought they looked pretty uh -huh. decent and I, I was thinking back to another one of our former guests dr bill schindler who opens his book eat yes. like a human by saying like plants yeah. plants should scare the hell out of you it doesn't say uh -huh. don't ever eat plants ever 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 it just means be really right. thoughtful about the plants you yeah. choose how much of them you yeah. have and like you said like how are you preparing them how are you cooking them we don't prepare our foods the same way that you know our our ancestors did or even just a few generations the way our grandparents treated food yeah. is vastly different than the yeah. way we do today yeah that's absolutely right and then it was actually bill chandler who inspired me to you know to try fermenting sweet potatoes and maybe start you know playing around with you know sourdough bread and, and some other fermentation techniques now i eat you know sauerkraut again i used to eat it when i was a kid but then you know completely went away from it as part of my more carnivore based approach um but then i realized actually if it's you know fermented it you know, it sits well with me. doesn't do anything bad for me. There might even be some benefits. I don't believe that I need sauerkraut in my life or any of the other, you know, vegetables. But knowing that I can potentially handle them without, you know, any negative or measurable side effects, um, you know, that's good to know because it makes it, it makes the entire eating framework more compatible and easier to approach for other people who might, you know, look at you and say, okay, it's great that you're doing this but there is no way I could do this, you know, myself.
especially, you know, since you mentioned at the beginning with kids involved, you know, um, it's significantly easier if you're a one man show and you can do whatever you want to, you know, regardless, not, you know, being responsible for anyone around you or a partner who might have a different opinion on certain things, but it's the more people there are, the more compatible, you know, chances are the more compatible you need to make this whole thing. And so by finding certain ways of food preparation, by selecting certain, you know, including certain sweet seasonal fruits, especially if you grow them in your own garden and you know where they are coming from and they are not, have not been treated with anything, you know, it, it just makes life in a family context easier, I believe. Yeah, that's amazing. I do want to make sure that we talk about that with you today. Um, it's, it, yeah. So, so when you're looking at carnivore, people that eat carnivore, you're right. I think people would look at the way that you and I eat and say like, I, I can't eat that way. What, what you guys are eating, I couldn't do that same thing. It's way too restrictive. And they don't realize that mm-hmm. we all had to go through that progression of diets. Yeah. It, it seems very, mm-hmm. very similar with most people where they're eating standard American. They feel terrible. They get off of standard American. Maybe it's Mediterranean or maybe it's paleo. I see very often. And they start to realize that, wow, I'm starting to feel better. And that drives the progression down these other diets to continue to see if you can notice benefits. So I'm wondering if you can think back to the times that you were transitioning from one to the next to the next, do you know of any, do you remember of any like the specific benefits you were getting by, by switching as you were going? Um, yeah, I mean, with paleo, as I said, you know, it was my, my gut was a, I felt the immediate change and that was, uh, awesome for me because, you know, having IBS, and, you know, having to, you know, deal with, you know, restroom breaks and all that thing, especially when you're working, when you're traveling, you know, is a degrades the quality of your life. So by having that out of the way, you know, there was a significant improvement and a major milestone for me personally. With keto, I felt that mental clarity that many people talk about where, you know, suddenly you can, you don't feel hungry in between meals because you're burning ketones, you're burning you're basically, you're like a walking pantry, right? There is enough fat on anyone, regardless of how skinny you are, that the body can use for energy. So that the ability to fast longer or to fast period, um, to not get hangry and not deal with low blood or, you know, with dips in blood sugar, um, to be able to work out in a faster state and still perform because you're running on, on a combination of ketones likely and also glycogen from, you know, that's stored in the liver and stored in muscle tissue. Um, and, and just that mental clarity and focus, that was a, a major thing. But at the same time, I have to say, it, and it already started towards the end of our paleo journey, that we transitioned to more and more of a modern version of the paleo diet with, you know, buying cookbooks that, you know, teach you how you can make every dish paleo, how you can bake paleo. And of course, with that comes nuts and seeds or their flowers, you know, and all kinds of things that are detrimental to your health, most likely. And they were certainly detrimental to my gut health because I started having those issues again. And when I transitioned to keto, arguably an even more restrictive diet than paleo, you know, you remove, you know, entire food groups, you know, all the high glycemic stuff. And so you are stuck with significantly less. So if you want to have something sweet, well, then, you know, let's make a keto treat out of nut butter and stuff like that. And that further aggravated my gut issue or my gut, um, causing even more issues. So while my mental side was doing significantly better on keto, some other parts of my body, not so much. And after three years of keto, I'm like, okay, there is something, you know, I thought that I would be healthy and better off because I'm doing you know, I'm, I'm living the better diet, which I consider, you know, keto, the next step above paleo. 
Um, that wasn't really the case. It didn't really reflect in my overall health and well-being. And so by then realizing that, okay, maybe nuts and seeds and certain plants aren't good for me, and by transitioning then ultimately to a carnivore diet, even though only for a short period to kind of, you know, reset my gut and figure out exactly what types of plants I cannot have and should not have, um, that was then the next major thing by going carnivore, again, gut issues gone. And then by slowly transitioning in or adding in certain fruits, certain plants, the least toxic plants, honey, you know, aged cheeses, or certain types of dairy, etc., and still feeling good, I'm like, okay, so this is, I guess, where I have the most flexibility, where I can be in keto on some days, and I can be carb-fueled on others, you know, and, and the same goes then again for the family, because that framework allows for a lot of flexibility, doesn't have to, you know, carnivore, obviously, by definition, is a somewhat ketogenic diet, because, you know, the absence of carbs, chances are burning ketones, right, so it's a keto diet. But if you add in certain other parts that make up an animal-based diet, you suddenly have the whole range from keto to some carbs to on some days maybe higher carbs and you know, then back to the other side. Yeah, that's very well explained. And in that way, again, if you're looking from the outside in, these diets look very restrictive but they're completely unrestrictive in the way that you can consume right. your calories and they're unrestrictive right. in the way that you feel afterwards. Like having gut issues is restrictive. Having diabetes or high blood pressure yeah. is very restrictive yeah. to, to not care when you eat because you always feel so good and you've always got that energy and you're just naturally like intermittently fasting. It's amazing. It's so different. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and I think that the problem is if you see food as a kind of as a reward, you know, I think that's problematic because if you see like, Oh, you know, on, on, on Sundays I can have my pizza. That's my reward for dieting during the week. If you see it like that, you're not going to be able to sustain the dietary framework for very long because the reward always wins. You know, your, your brain is just wired in a way to seek the reward. Right. But if you see certain foods as toxic, like if you, if I see someone eating, you know, a, a, a kale, raw kale salad or a, drinking a green smoothie or whatever. And I look at this, I'm like, poor that person, you know, what they are doing to their health. Once you see certain foods in that, in, 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 a, in that way, you don't miss them anymore. You know, I mean, it's, it's just a way, it's a perspective. It's a perspective shift, really what it is that you have to go through to be able to say, I'm perfectly fine to not have those things because I know what they do to my body. It's the same thing as if saying, I, I don't miss not, you know, wanting to, or not having a cigarette. I mean, I never smoked, so I don't have that, you know, addiction component. But for me, looking at a cigarette is like, you know, how could you? And the same goes with food. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you do the right, if you make the right choices, most of the time, your body, I mean, the human body is just incredibly resilient. Otherwise, we'd all be dead already. You know, by decades of abuse, you know, people still walk around and, and look half alive. So by, by being, by having a robust and healthy metabolism, you know, if I say, you know, once every two months or so, you know, we're going to go out and have, you know, pizza here in the local pizza joint. You know, the, the worst thing that's in there is the, the white flour, which is better than whole grain flour, obviously. And it has olive oil and it has tomato sauce and it has, you know, maybe some cheese on top, you know, that's not by any stretch of the imagination, a healthy meal, but it does nothing to me. It does absolutely nothing to me, you know, and because my body can deal with that stressor that is that less than ideal meal, you know, so I can still, you know, partake in, in certain social events where, you know, I don't want to be 
that guy, you know, who doesn't eat any of it because I've been to, to meals and for honestly, for many, many years, if I would go somewhere, what is business related or otherwise, and if the food was not compatible, I would not eat it. You know, I would drink my water and say, I'm fasting, you know, I would lick on my salt stone or what have you, you know, look like, look like a weirdo. <laughs> um, I don't necessarily do that anymore. You know, I'm, I'm more flexible now because those few times where I have to make that choice or if I choose to make that choice, you know, I'll be perfectly fine. You know, I don't fall apart because I have a crappy meal. I might not feel great, but me feeling not great is still better than most people feel every day. Every you know? single so, day. Yeah, no, that's such yeah. a good point. That's so well explained. I just, what I'll tell people is like, make it count. When you do something like that, make it yeah. count. You're, there's going to be some side effects to whatever you're eating and you might not feel that great. I know for me, like if I have sugar, my anxiety goes through the roof. That for me, like mm -hmm. no sugar. I, I can go the rest of my life and not right. have sugar because it's not worth the anxiety. But like right. what you're describing yeah. to go have a pizza, like go to a really nice pizza place. Don't don't have like frozen pizza every single day. You know, right. if you want to cookie go get a really good cookie don't have you mm. know a sleeve of oreos every day it just really make it count right yeah exactly yeah. and and you know one thing that's important that i have kind of ignored because I, i'm not the i'm not a, a social butterfly if you will so the social aspects of eating never really did much to me you know and and my you know let's say heritage from you know people associate food with many things, you know, I mean, I grew up on a certain diet, you know, my grandma makes certain things, you know, and, and so it occurred to me, you know, when we visit my grandma, you know, who's now 90 years old in Austria, and she makes a certain dish that she's been making for 90, well, maybe not for 90 years, but let's say for, for 75 years, then I'm going to eat that freaking dish, you know, regardless of if it matches my diet or not, because it's, you know, it's, it's important to her. It's a, it's an important social aspect of, of our life. And it doesn't happen every day because she lives in Austria and I am in the U S you know? So that social aspect of eating, I think is also important that I've disregarded for, for a very long time, not understanding that for other people, that whole social aspect is very important, you know, maybe even more important than the nutritional aspect. And so you've got to find a way to make, to make it work for, you know, if you want to improve your health, you've got to make it work, you know, and, and if that means preparing foods in a certain way or substituting ingredients or, you know, whatever the case might be, then do that, you know, instead of just sticking with your standard American diet and not making any changes at all, yeah. you know? Yeah, no, I really love that. Is it true that in Europe, like they don't obsess at all with like, what are your macros or how many calories are you eating? It's all just more cultural. And it's like, we make this dish because this is regional to this area and we've eaten it for centuries. Yeah, I mean, you know, Austria, like the rest of Europe has certainly changed a little bit, has adopted or started adopting some of the things that are more popular over here. Um, and, and that goes, you know, for the longest time, I would have said, well, you know, the Austrians are significantly healthier than the Americans, generally speaking. But not even that is true anymore. The, the rates of diabetes and high blood pressure and some of the other metabolic and you know diseases have gone up significantly as well because of the adoption of, of modern foods. I think all of that came with a certain delay from the U.S. Like, you know, my grandma, you know, she would, you know, cook with butter you know, or tallow or lard, you know, animal fats, basically. But now if you look at modern Austrian kitchens, it's all seed oils, you know, um, because the message has also transpired that butter and saturated fats aren't good, uh, even though that myth has been debunked or was debunked already, I don't know, decades ago, really. Uh, but that sentiment that heart-healthy oils, you know, vegetable oils, polyunsaturated fatty acids are much better for your heart health than 
saturated fats and cholesterol. That has transpired in Austria too and is now part of the culture, unfortunately. But to answer your question, no, I think calorie, at least not in my family, nobody counts calories. If I tell them, you know, what are your macros? They don't even know what that is. Um, so, you know, it's, it's much less. They just eat what they've always eaten, you know, more than doing certain things because it's healthy. I would say even the, res the resistance to change is even more, is even higher in Austria than it is over here. Wow. Because my parents obviously see what I do and why I do it. And, you know, and the result of, you know, not only physically changes, but, all, you know, overall. And they are still, eh. <laughs> I hope you're doing the right thing, you know, kind yeah. of. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's so interesting. It's very well explained. It's really cool to understand the culture, but really sad to see that everywhere the, these, these Western foods and modernized foods are, are getting, we're seeing metabolic health go yeah. down the tank. It's really, it really yeah. is sad. Okay. So when you yourself personally are making a change, you're, you, it's not like you can just do this yourself. Like you've got your partner, right. you also have the kiddo. So let's talk about the two of you, um, the adults mm -hmm. changing the diet. We're mm -hmm. both of you on board from the very beginning. Did both of you want to change your diet or, <laughs> or was there, there's some resistance there? No, no, that was actually a major, a major issue. When I woke up one day and said, you know, starting tomorrow, I'm going to do paleo. And my wife is like, what do you mean you do paleo? I am the one who cooks, you know? So if you do paleo, that means I need to do something different. And I don't really care, you know, about, you know, cooking for, you know, two separate meals just because you want to do something different that I don't even know what it's about. And so, no, I, I approached that maybe, maybe not in the best um, way I could have. So I didn't explain. I just, you know, made a statement of what I'm going to do and expected everyone to, you know, fall in line. Um, so my wife wasn't very happy in the beginning and it took her a while to do her own research and kind of, you know, ask questions and get answers and what is paleo, why we are doing this. And, and the more we talked about it, the more she did her own research, the more she came to the conclusion that, yeah, um, we need to change how we eat. And, and that was good, obviously, <laughs> both from a, uh, uh, perspective of our relationship, but also obviously our health and the health of our kids. And at that time, I think our, our youngest, Isabella, she was about two years old. And I still have pictures of her, like, chewing on a big chunk of bread and all. And I'm like, you know, I, I wish I, 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 we would have not done this, but we did. Um, but yeah, it, it was then a transition, obviously, for us, for the adults, um, and then for the kids as well. But I don't know, maybe two years into paleo, you know, I came up with the idea or discovered that keto is a thing. And I'm like, no, no, paleo, paleo, that's, you know, that only gets us halfway there. We need keto. Keto is, you know, the ultimate diet. So we're going to do keto from now on. Again, approaching it in a way <laughs> that was not um, uh, in a, in a uh, very partnershipy, so to say. And, uh, you know, my, my wife again said, okay, if you want to do keto, you do keto. Uh, you just cut out the carbs and you eat everything else. So it was, you know, much more doable without her having to change the way she cooked and the way she prepared her meals. Uh, and then at some point, she again did her research, said, okay, you know what? Maybe, you know, eating so many carbs is not a good thing. We want to be in ketosis. We want to, you know, do the fasting and all of that. So we, we roped that in. And, um, and that was then a... Uh, an important change at a time when our son was born prematurely and when we kind of starting started to doubt you know all the advice we've gotten from you know 
the med his medical team in terms of you know diet, his pediatrician and all what he needs to grow because he was relatively small for his age in the womb already as, as well as then you know when he was born. And they're like, oh, you know, just feed him, you know, sweet potatoes with brown sugar and and, and stuff. And I'm like, uh, we're not going to do this, you know. Um, he doesn't need any of that, you know. He needs nutrients, and it's not coming from brown sugar um, or you know the baby formula filled with seed oils. I mean, that's a whole other issue if you because it's you know at the time we had to supplement or at least we were told we had to supplement the breastfeeding with extra formula to give him even more nutrients. And if, you know, the best type of formula you can, money can buy is just a piece of junk food, you know, with, with artificial sweeteners and seed oils and all of that stuff that, you know, I wish we would have never given to him. Um, but we didn't know any better at the time. So it, it was, a, you know, a little bit of a rough transition and it took a while for both of us to really come to the, you know, get on the same page and, and say, okay, this is where we are right now food-wise. This is where we want to be. And how do we get there without creating any major friction points, without making your life as, you know, our primary cook, if you want to say, because my wife's a stay-at-home mom, so she takes care of, of most of the things at home. Um, how can we make this work? So, you know, it, it works for everybody. And then, of course, you know, also with the kids. And that's, you know, that was fortunate and never an issue. We were always on the same page as far as the kids are concerned. But of course, with everyone around us, you know, who realized how we are feeding our kids and why are your kids on keto, you know, or why, you know, and they were actually most of the time in ketosis, but not because they didn't get any carbs at all, but because they burn carbs so quickly, you know, at that age that they were, you know, they were always depleted their glycogen stores overnight in the morning they were in ketosis, regardless of what they ate during the day. And so we kind of encouraged that, you know, high fat, high protein type of diet. Um, and that turned out fairly well for our kids. But of course, it was always a um, an uphill battle with, you know, the healthcare professionals who, you know, took care of the kids, uh, pediatricians, friends and family and everyone around who was not used to you know, kids not eating mac and cheese and all of the stuff that, you know, most American kids, you know, eat. Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned that. I was going to ask you if you experienced any pushback with people that learned, you know, by their oh, understanding, yeah. they might, they might think that keto is a fad or something. They saw it on a magazine at the right. grocery store. And so this is the next new diet, which is absolutely preposterous. It's totally ridiculous. It's the oldest right. diet that we have. I wondered if you were getting pushback from people around you. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, pretty much everyone, especially you know, the, you know, at some point, especially with the youngest one with Lucas, um, who was, as I mentioned, born prematurely, you know, he was, he was seeing a nutritionist and I had fierce exchanges with, with her in terms of what he should and should not be eating. Um, and, you know, we stuck to, to our beliefs, fortunately, and, you know, fed him what we thought was right. And it turned out, I mean, based on how he is right now, I think it was the, the right choice, you know, always high fat, high protein, very animal based, um, and whatever didn't sit well in his stomach, you know, we just cut out and, and he was on a very restrictive quote unquote restrictive diet that mimicked how we were eating. Uh, but he was doing well and he has been doing well. And so, yeah, that's amazing. I wonder, uh, yeah. I wonder if the same people that would push back on you would also like look at their lunch boxes and probably they would just see a bunch of healthy food. Like there's nothing, you know, terribly restrictive looking when you're following some of these diets, especially if you're doing it the right way, you're eating meat and probably some dairy and probably some fruits. I, I, there's not a lot of unhealthy foods there. Right. I mean, I think the major misconception that a lot of people have is that you need, you need carbs, you know, carbs are essential. 
And most people understand is that there are only two essential in a macros, and that's fat and protein. The, those are the ones that the body cannot make. You know, you need to get them from food. Glucose, on the other hand, you don't need carbs to get glucose. You know, body can make it from non-carbohydrate sources. Now, is it ideal to always do that in every situation, every um, stage of your age? I don't know. You know, but you body can make it. You know, if you need glucose, you know, gluconeogenesis takes care of you. You know. And and so that's I think one misconception that that many have. But I, I also think just ignoring the nutritional aspect, I think what what weirded out a lot of people is the social aspect of what do you do if you know if everyone else you know eats their you know or drinks their juice box and has you know crackers and whatnot and, and your kid doesn't you know poor your kid you know who feels socially awkward and who gets you know then bullied and, and, and what have you. And, and, and that was, that, that is a real um, issue. You know, if you go to a birthday party and what do we serve at American birthday parties, your kids' birthday parties, it's pizza and it's cake, right? The cake typically probably from Publix or some other grocery store filled with sugar and, and seed oils probably. And then the pizza is not going to be the, you know, the original pizza from your, you know, high-end kind of, you know, pizzeria that uses only, you know, ingredients flown in from Italy no, it's your Papa John's or Pizza Hut or what have you. Again, made with seed oils and with the crappiest ingredients you can think of. And so we said, you know, our kids are not going to have that. We brought their own. You know, my wife would bake a paleo muffin or what have you. Um, not that it's, you know, great food uh, based on the diet that we have now, but at least it's significantly better and made with better ingredients than, you know, that cake. And instead of the pizza, well, you know, they didn't have that they just said no thank you we're not going to have pizza and it was very awkward at times uh, i could i cared less about it my wife was a little bit more you know um felt a little bit more awkward because i just don't give a damn you know about, about what other people think um and you know and we talked to the kids and say look you know those you know if you look around and look at how those kids look not that we you know want to you know put them into certain categories but just a reflection of their diet you can see based on how many of those kids look, that's something we're trying to avoid. You know, we want to live healthier and they probably don't know that. And so they eat what they eat, you know, and we just do it differently. And in the beginning, you know, they didn't really understand, but now they do. And, you know, they're perfectly fine with that. And it was a process, but I think it was totally worthwhile sticking that out. And because now that they eat healthy 99% of the time, if they go to a party and say, you know what? Um, can I pick between a slice of pizza or a slice of the cake? I say, yes, you can, because every other meal you have, you know, is, is fine. And you're not going to a birthday party every week. You know, it's once every couple of months. And when you do that, you can make the choice to eat something that's not good for you, much like we make the choice at times as well. And we still feel great because we are robust and we are metabolically healthy, you know, but getting there was certainly a, a bit of a journey. But like you said, your kids understand. You have explained this to them. They choose foods, which I think is super important. I've heard you talk about this um, on another show, which I thought was wonderful. But but it's not you're not forcing this on them. It, it's, it's something that they're choosing. They understand. They can tie the correlation between the things they're eating and the ways they're feeling. Yeah, no, absolutely. And especially with the younger one, with the, the one who was born prematurely, he has always had gut issues soft stools and, and whatnot for the better part of his, well, the, the first couple of years. And so we told him, look, you know, you have, you know, issues in your gut because of something that you eat, 
is not sitting well with you. So let's try the following. Let's remove everything but meat. Only eat meat for a while. And then you add one thing in and another thing in and another thing in. And you see at what point you're, getting, you're having those gut issues again. And for him, that clicked because suddenly he ate something. You know, I think it was nuts really for him. I think it was almonds or stuff that, you know, once every so often maybe for Christmas or whatever, you know, my wife bakes. Uh, maybe, you know, Cook is using, using nut flour instead of regular flour. And if he has them, he has gut issues. And he connected. And he's like, you know, I can't eat this anymore. I don't want to eat this anymore because otherwise I'm going to have gut issues and I don't want that. And that connection was very important for him to really figure out the connection between what he eats and how he feels. Uh, and now he is making those choices and we don't even have to tell him anything. And like, you pick what you think is best for you. And nine out of 10 times, he makes the right choice. You know, that's amazing. No, I think most parents, you know, I know, I understand it's really difficult out there. I understand that sugar is addictive and it's everywhere. And so I think most parents, I don't know, maybe they just don't do enough or don't give their kids enough credit that they'll be able to learn this stuff and make those associations just because everybody else isn't doing it doesn't mean your kids can't do it. And yeah, it might be a little awkward in the beginning and there might be a transition period, but you're going to get past that. And what what a joy for these kids. How was their behavior change when they started eating all of these whole foods? Yeah, I mean, fortunately, they never had a, with the exception of maybe our youngest one in the first, two and a half years or so. And well, and her diet wasn't terrible either because at that point, obviously, he was too young to eat really junk food, you know, but it was, you know, maybe chewing on a bread or eating some Rice Krispies or stuff that, you know, we don't eat now anymore. Um, but beyond that, they always had a, a relatively solid diet made with whole foods. Maybe some of the whole foods were detrimental to their gut, you know, and, and some other areas, but it wasn't like that they were, they never had a candy. I think it was, it took Isabella eight years for the first time to try a candy. Wow. And and she's like, this is way too sweet, you know? <laughs> That's like, amazing. And and that was, you know, such a joyful moment for us because I'm like, okay, because she always seen other kids and like, can I can I try just one? I'm like, yeah, you try it out and, and tell me what you think, you know? Know that it's not good for you, but you're not gonna die just because you have, you know, that one, I don't know what it was. And and she said, you know, I don't I don't like it. And, and now even for her, you know, for, for certain celebrations, like, you know what, I don't want to have cake. It's way too sweet. Even the one that we make at home, you know, sweetened with our own honey, you know, for her, you know, it's too sweet um, because she's not used to eating a lot of sweet stuff. And so, you know, it, it, I think every kid can do that. You just need to give the opportunity to feed them real stuff and avoid some of the junk foods to kind of, you know, reset their gut and reset the bacteria in the gut because ultimately all those cravings we have or many of those, come from, you know, the type of bacteria that they have in your gut. If they thrive on junk food and you don't give it to them, you're going to have cravings. But once that bad bacteria, quote unquote, has died off, and you know, you have a better composition of bacteria in your gut that thrive on, you know, fats and protein and those kind of things, then you're not going to have those issues anymore. It's not a battle for the rest of your life is what I'm trying to say. You know, it just takes a little bit of a transition period. And after that, you know, you can make, you can let your kids, you know, take the lead. They know what they need and what their body needs for the most part. And um, it's not an ongoing battle. But one of the things that, uh, and I've said this, I think in one of my blog posts or in the YouTube video as well, one of the major things that we've done is remove everything from our pantry that we don't want our kids to have. So in other words, if they say, oh, can I get a snack? I'm like, yeah, go to the pantry, whatever you find, you can eat. 
You're not going to find any Snickers and any of you know, those kind of things. You might find sweet plantain chips. You might find cheese crackers, you know, with Parmesan cheese. Those are kind of the worst things that we have in the pantry, quote unquote. If you want to have one of those, you know, have at it, you know. Um, but beyond that, there is nothing in our pantry uh, that they cannot have. And so that just removes the argument from the entire, you know, situation. Because you don't know, it's there, but you can't have it. Well, why is that? You know, who is it there for? You know, for you, why are you eating it if I can't, you know? Yeah. And it's, yeah. you know, you don't want to have the discussion. That's great advice. My parents used to keep all the sweet stuff up at the very top of the pantry. <laughs> and so you just you yeah. just learn how to like climb up. Climb, the, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. You go, go to get the good stuff. Yeah. It's so interesting. Yeah. I, I, I love that you that you made that point. I think that's a wonderful point is just start by don't just don't bring it in the house. I mean, my yeah. I don't know. She's 87. I want to say my grandma at 87 years old decided to, to finally like stop buying candy and bringing it in the house at, at that age, she lost like 50, 60 pounds. This is just last year. Mm -hmm. And she did that one thing that you just said, don't bring it in the house. And it worked amazingly well, even at that age, there's another thing that you talk about that we mentioned briefly. Why is it so important to give your kids a choice? Because I think we all want to be, we all want to feel empowered to be able to make choices, you know, and, and for kids, you know, as they grow and explore their environment and explore, you know, how much power they have or not have. I mean, if you think about it, you know, most of the things that our kids do, we decide for them, you know, okay, this is what you put, what, what clothes you wear. This is where we're going to go. This is your, you know, everything is decided for them. And it can be, I imagine, incredibly frustrating if you cannot make your own choices and especially, you know, with foods that you might like or not like, you know, having to eat something that you absolutely don't like is horrible. You know, I mean, I, I, I've gone through this and, you know, when I was a kid, my mom said, you know, this is what we're going to have. And I'm like, I don't want it. We're like, why don't you sit on the table until it's gone or, you know, you're not going to get anything else. But by giving them choices, even if it's between, you know, meatballs that has liver mixed in, and ribeye, you know, if they pick the ribeye, okay, great. It's not a bad choice. You know, I would have rather them pick, you know, the meatballs with the liver. Um, but still, they pick the ribeye, you know. But I'm not, you know, if they don't have a choice, you know, you have an argument. Yeah. And and the funny thing is with kids, even if you offer them choices where if you would if you would offer only that one thing and they would say, no, I don't like this. But if they have, you know, two options that they don't really like, but they can make a choice between those two, chances are they're going to stick with that choice, you know, um, and they're going to eat it anyway. It was their choice, you know, that they made. They made that choice themselves, you know, so they're going to eat that. But if you would have only offered this one thing as a, hey, here are the meatballs with liver, you know, like, I don't want this. But if it's meatballs with liver and something else, even if it's something else is not their absolute favorite, they choose the lesser evil, so to say, it was their choice. And it's much more you reduce friction at the end of the day and you make the kid happier and you empower your kids to make decisions and stick with them and, and, you know, deal with the consequences, whatever they might be. Empowering. That's, that's the perfect word. It's empowering. It's giving your kids autonomy, you know, same with partnerships. You should always give your partner autonomy to make the choices that they want to make and just provide a safe environment to do that. So I absolutely love that approach. I do have to clarify though, when you mentioned ribeye and consuming ribeye, you are referring to the steak and not referring to your dog named ribeye. Is that correct? Not the dog. (laughs) Okay. The dog is essentially spelled with rib space. I, so it's not to be confused with the ribeye. Oh, nice. Okay. Just want to make sure 
you guys were eating your dog over there. I love the name, by the way. I think that's awesome. Tell us a little bit about the supplementation. Why did you decide to start a supplement company? Um, it was really my, my wife uh, who inspired me to consider having a physical product. Because up until then, it was mostly digital content that I would produce and monetize. Um, never had a digital product. And I thought, well, you know, a supplement kind of makes sense because we are in that space. But I was thinking, okay, what supplement could that be that even if I make certain changes to my diet in a couple of years, you know, for example, going from paleo to keto, you know, I don't want to have a, a keto supplement and then suddenly I'm on an animal-based diet and I'm not in ketosis every day anymore. It kind of, you know, would be odd to push that product without me really, you know, embracing the framework that's around it. And so I'm like, okay, what is a supplement that I could see myself eating um, or a type of food that I could see myself eating for the rest of my life and, and you know, be okay selling it and, and recommending it to others? And organ meats were um, kind of a no-brainer because I think organ meats are should be, you know, a central part of your diet just in, in terms of getting all the micronutrients, vitamins, minerals, et cetera. But also appreciating that not everyone likes the taste and texture and so freeze-drying them or having a freeze-dried option that's tasteless, that doesn't really smell like anything, and it's easy to consume, especially when you're traveling and when you don't have a chance to cook or prepare those things at home um, are an ideal you know, type of product. And so we came up with um, liver as our first product because I think liver is the, the king of organs, um, not, not to borrow the liver king's uh, speech, but he's absolutely right saying that liver is king, um, has, you know, most of the most nutrient dense food on the planet. And so starting with liver and then just adding on other supplements, maybe organ or organ mixes, I should say, to fill specific needs or address specific use cases um, was, was the most logical choice for us. And that's why we started with uh, liver a year ago. And we just introduced uh, heart and spleen a couple of weeks ago. Nice. That's awesome. So what would some of the, the specific things, if I'm, if I'm wondering whether I should be taking a supplement or not, what specific things would I notice in myself that would suggest like, wow, I need a little bit more of this in my life? So yeah, it, it really depends a little bit, obviously, on your diet. If you're already on a carnivore diet and you eat eggs and, you know, maybe, you know, certain types of dairy and you're well covered, you might not notice an, you know, anything in particular. I mean, honestly, you know, since I've been eating fresh organs, for a, over a year now, by adding on those freeze-dried supplements, I didn't know then a significant difference um, in terms of how I feel. But I have a lot of customers who are on a you know on a journey towards a healthier diet who might not be on a pure carnivore diet or not on a pure animal-based diet. They are more like on a you know remove processed crap and but eat everything else kind of. Um, and especially those I think can really benefit from from the nutrients and micronutrients in organs. I have a lot of customers that are deficient in iron, that have low energy levels, that you know maybe suffer from hair loss, that have um, bad bone or dental health, maybe because if they don't get enough vitamin K2, you know they might have enough calcium, but without K2, you know that absorption is uh, negatively impacted. So you need the K2 as well. Um, liver is a great source of K2, um, and 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 many other conditions, but. Uh, I would say even for a, for someone who's on a strict carnivore diet, um, who only eats red meat, I mean, you know, there are different types of flavors of carnivore diet. There are some purists that only eat red meat and nothing else. And it seems to be working well for them. But I would argue that just red muscle meat 
doesn't provide you with all the nutrients that you might need in the long run, you know? And so by adding in organs, be it fresh or freeze dried, I think you can benefit even if you're on a carnivore diet already. And I use my own supplements on a daily basis because I know that my diet is pretty good, but not perfect. You know, I don't get to eat fresh organs as much as I like um, because of supply chain issues, because of, you know, preparations, I'm traveling too, et cetera. So by just having the convenience, knowing that, all of the vitamins and minerals that my body needs, I get in those few capsules and I don't have to worry about if, you know, I don't get to eat fresh liver for a week or two, yeah. you know, or if I, you know, I'm traveling and my diet might be less than ideal because the eggs that I get on the road are not pastured, you know, they are conventionally raised or if the meat that I'm eating is not pasteurized, but, you know, from corn fed cattle, etc. So, you know, just compensating and mitigating for all of those factors. plus you know, intense, intensely working out the daily stressors, all of that, you know, likely means that my body needs more nutrients that if I am, you know, in a chill out state on somewhere on the beach and just eating, you know, steak every day and not having a worry in the world, you know? So that's kind of the, my, my ultimate, you know, pitch for why you should be consuming free straight organs. And of course, anyone who is not on the dietary level, as maybe we are, you know, maybe, you know, someone who is a modified standard American diet, maybe who eats a lot of plants thinking that that's where they get the nutrients from. For those who would highly recommend, you know, getting bioavailable versions of those micronutrients and bridging some of the things that you don't find in, in plants, be it B12, be it K2, you know, um, and some of the other things, heme iron. Yeah. No, I love that. I was just thinking that I never came across, you know, these types of supplements until I got into the carnivore world, but you're right. Mm -hmm. Like if, if, carnivores need it, then pretty much everybody else would need it as well. And it could benefit anybody on any kind of mixed diet. Yeah. And you know, talking to you, you mentioned Bill Schindler in the, um, in the beginning of the, the conversation and I had a conversation with him as well. And, and I saw him actually at the, um, I think it was the KetoCon conference a um, couple of months ago. And, and he said, and that stuck to me, one of the most important milestones in human evolution was when we transitioned from scavengers to hunters, where we had first access to the animal and to the organs and to the fat of that animal, because that developed, that allowed our brain to develop and the entire body to develop and, and really change in a significantly short amount of time. And that just tells me that, you know, organs are not just a waste product. If, if we, if we had a major developmental milestone with getting access to organs and to the animal fat, then chances are we need those organs and animal fats to thrive, you know, and to maintain the health that we have right now and to, you know, improve it if you're not in good shape yeah. already. Yeah, no, I love that. That's a really good point. I know there's some talk in the carnivore world about getting too much of the fresh organ meats or too much organs in general. Do you ever worry about that or is that not something that's really much of a concern? No, I mean, I wouldn't eat a deliver of a polar bear every day, you know, which is super high in vitamin A, which can be toxic in certain concentrations. But I've yet to see anyone having any issues with um, vitamins and minerals from real food sources. I mean, typically overdosing happens when you have like synthetic versions that are like highly concentrated, like 5,000 times the amount, you know, hoping that some of it will st stick and then maybe more sticks than what you need. And then you have issues but I have yet to see anyone um, have any issues from eating liver every day. I mean, I consume, you know, definitely, you know, one serving of my beef liver supplement, which is roughly the equivalent of one ounce of fresh liver. I eat liver pate almost every day and I eat fresh liver at least once a week. And 
just the other day, my my mother in law is here, and and uh, she made we made liver. You know, I had like this. I think it was uh, uh, elk liver or something, and it was like a big chunk. And I thought you know, we would slice it up, you know, cook some, and the rest we leave for later. She made the entire thing, and between the two of us, we probably ate two pounds of liver. Wow. You know, <laughs> and. You know, I've yet to see any any negative side effects. I know that certain fat soluble vitamins, you know, that can accumulate on compound over time. But I I eat so much liver, and I, I've you know never had any issues. So I, I think it's completely overblown. Mm. You know, someone saying don't eat enough liver. Um, I know I don't know anyone who eats too much liver. You know, not even the liver king. You know, um, and, and so I think it's. You know, the, the bigger issue is not eating enough liver. Got it. Yes, don't eat the liver of a polar bear every day or don't eat a pound of liver every day. You don't need that. But eating a few ounces every day is absolutely no issue. No and the other organs, uh, it's the same goes the same for the other organs. Interesting. Yeah, I think it was actually Dr. Bill Schindler. I want to say it was on Carnivore Cast with Scott Mislinski said, think about the whole animal and and think about the portions. Yeah. Like, like you are going to end up with a lot more muscle meat than you are organs. You might get a few bites. And so every few weeks to have some, every week to have, you know, fresh raw, right. You're, you're right. You're probably not going to, you know, bioaccumulate way too much vitamin A from doing that. Taking a yeah. small dose every single day covers the base. And it's interesting to hear that that opinion that, that most of us are are too low and need a little bit more versus the other way around. Right. Yeah. I mean, I can definitely see. You know, if someone is you know eats nothing but liver every day, I mean, that doesn't accurately reflect how you know our ancestors, even modern hunter gatherer tribes, live. You know, they kill an animal, they share the liver, they share the organs, but they eat all the organs. You know, so in liver isn't the only organ that has nutrients. But if you only eat one organ, you know, in, eating a little bit more of the liver because that's the only thing you eat is not an issue. Of course, if you eat an entire liver, an entire heart, an entire pancreas, an entire kidney, you know, all in one shot, maybe you're getting too much. But who does that? You know. Yeah. Yeah, you don't. I've not, I've not met anyone yet. That's right. Yeah, you don't see that at all. Your your blog is fantastic, and I know part of the blog is indirect. Thank you. Indirectly working to help the supplement company. You know, we put out free content to help build our brand and, right. and our services. Yours is is so well done, and but besides the supplements, you're not selling anything. Like you don't do a lot of like formal health coaching. What is your motivation to share your message? You know, it, it, I, I always, I, I would hope that you know, if someone reads what I what I put out, that they don't have to go through the all the hoops that I've gone through. You know, and because you know, it, it took me ten years. You know, you don't have to take ten years to get to a better place. You know, you spend one year. You know, it is a journey. Obviously, you don't want to go from zero to a hundred. I mean, some people do, and that's great if you can. But most people would be overwhelmed by, you know, just adopting my or maybe your, you know, lifestyle overnight. But you don't need to spend 10 years. You know, you don't need to feel miserable, have, you know, IBS for 10 years. You know, if you if, if there is a solution that you can implement fairly quickly, you know. Yeah. And so that's really my motivation to, you know, to help people get better quicker than, you know, than you know the experience that i made uh, and and plus obviously you know with everything i do you know and, and with all the affiliates and and, and display ads and stuff you know that pays for me so i can continue doing that that's obviously a motivation as well because I, if i don't earn any money with what i do i couldn't be doing it you know right. i quit my day job actually this year in april um to focus only on my blog and my supplements and so you know there is certainly you know that that motivation as well to you know being able to keep going and and really living my dream you know i i 
that's why I'm always very appreciative of of every reader and everyone who you know leaves the comments or it, especially the positive ones um, because ultimately you know those are the people who make my life possible and in return you know I'm going to share with what I know and hopefully you know people can use that to better their health and better their life and and follow their passion do what they are passionate about yeah that's amazing i knew you'd answer something like that as far as your motivation it's really clear that you have really good motivation at heart and you're sharing such a great message in a way that's really understandable and you're right like this is it's been you know 15 years of blood sweat and tears to get to where i am in this <laughs> understanding of nutrition right. and understanding what we talked about in the very beginning the vegetables are not good for you they can actively be bad right. for you like you've got to swim right. upstream for a long time to get to that right. information. And so I really appreciate yeah. that that's what you do. I love your Instagram account where you're also putting all the pictures up of all the fun things you've got going on and your chickens and all the stuff you have at home. It's just <laughs> so awesome. We really yeah. so much appreciate you. Where can people go to find you and connect with you in your work? Yeah, I mean, you know, michaelcomer.com, my blog, um, obviously is, is, is a great resource for if people want to learn more. Um, follow me on Instagram, mcomer82 is my handle there. Um, in terms of my supplements, very easy shop.michaelkummer.com so i just made a subdomain uh they can find that there and um yeah i have a youtube channel as well it's not quite as um as well maintained what well, is it well maintained but I, I don't spend as much time producing youtube videos as i do producing written content um but yeah i have a couple of youtube videos out there as well uh that are you know complimentary and um for some people who prefer watching video over reading you know an article um and yeah those are the three places probably that that's fantastic. Uh, yeah. Our best. That's great. We will link to all of that in the show notes. Micah Coomer, thank you so very much for everything that you do. If, if nothing else, the way you're raising your kids and being an example for other parents, I just so hope the parents out there that hear this, you know, change things, try things a little bit different. Just because everybody else yeah. isn't doing this doesn't mean you can get this to work. Right. And I, we don't have kids yeah. yet. Uh, we're going to at some point, and I'm really mu very much looking forward to not letting them mm -hmm. eat any vegetables. But the way that you're <laughs> the way that you're doing it and giving them the choice mm -hmm. and the autonomy, I think, is wonderful. So thank you for everything yeah. that you do, and thank you for coming on our show today. We really appreciate you. Oh, thanks so much, Casey, for having me. I appreciate it. It was such an honor. And this has been another episode of Balanced Body Radio. As always, thank you so very much for listening to and supporting Boundless Body Radio. It has been such a joy to go on this journey now that it's been two years of doing these episodes and all the amazing conversations that we've had with thought leaders and to be able to share this message around the world with literally hundreds of thousands of people has been so amazing. If you haven't already, please go over to Apple, leave us a rating and review as it's the best way for the show to continue to grow and touch more lives of people out there. I am so excited to announce that we are launching the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. This is something that I have been working really hard at for a very long time and something I am very proud of. Now that we have done over 300 episodes, our content can be a little bit overwhelming if you really want to learn about one particular topic and really zero in on that topic. So that is exactly what I have done. I have gone through all of our episodes, taken the very best clips all about one particular topic and put them into long form 
very informative and concise episodes called the Boundless Body Radio Premium Podcast. That can be found on our brand new Patreon page, which I'm really excited to announce as we have all kinds of different offers there and different tiers. We're including early releases of our show, Boundless Body Radio. We typically keep about 15 to 20 episodes scheduled at any given time. So we have options there where you can have early access to those. We are also offering group and one-on-one coaching and also access to these premium podcast episodes, the Balanced Body Radio Premium Podcast. We have three that are launching right now, and I will be making a new one every other week. And we believe that we are providing these for a very, very high value. So please check us out on Patreon. Check the link in the notes to be able to get there. And thank you, as always, for listening to Boundless Body Radio.